Good morning. Sure is good to see you. Always a good sight to see God's people gathered together, family of God. To our visitors, you are our honored guests, and we're delighted to have you here. We hope to be a blessing to you as you are to us. We're concluding a, a successful vacation Bible school, and any vacation Bible school is successful and has children. And we want to thank Kevin and Monique and all the, the volunteers who taught and, and helped in this, this work. And, um, you know, when you see children uh, learn about Jesus and sing about Jesus, does it get better than that? It, it warms the heart. So thank God for that. We're going to conclude our uh, adventures, Bible adventures, by looking at three, three short stories this morning, three for the price of one. And the common idea to these stories is contrasting God's ways to our ways, to yours and mine. Our first story is going to be in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, and we're going to look at chapter 11. So if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to read the story of the Tower of Babel, and we're going to start in verse 1 where we read, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, that is Babylonia, and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now remember, in Genesis chapter 1, God blessed Adam and Eve and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, it's kind of hard to fill the earth if everybody's staying in one place, the same place. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Now understand, the Bible is an old book. It wasn't originally written in, in English. And the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the, the, the word for Hebrew, Babel, sounds like the Hebrew word for confused. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the, the whole earth. I want to make an aside here, just a by-the-way comment. God says if as one people speaking the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. They were united, and they were working together. Without God's will, opposed to God, think of the things that you and I can accomplish, this church can accomplish, if we are united 
And we work together with God's will, with his blessing and help. With Christ, all things are possible. All good things are possible. Note in verse 4, they wanted to build a city, and they wanted to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. That reaches to heaven. See, the moral of the story here is they tried to reach heaven on their own efforts. They tried to reach heaven their way. And the moral is, you can't reach heaven on your own efforts. And you can't reach heaven your way. We'll reach heaven God's way with God's help and God's blessing. That is the moral of our first story. Now, let's look at a second story that talks about God's ways and our ways. And we can do that in the same book by turning back to chapter 4. In chapter 4, we can read the story of Cain and Abel. And we'll start that in verse 1, where we read, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And again, the word Cain in Hebrew sounds like the terms uh, brought forth. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, that is, he was a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil, that is, he was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And that's a rhetorical question. Of course, if he does what's right, he will be accepted. God loves him. He loves him. That's why, as he loves us, that's why he made him. That's why he made us so that we would do the right thing and please him. Well, when you look at what they offered, Cain brought fruits of the soil as a farmer. Abel brought an animal as, as a, a keeper of flocks, a shepherd. That's only natural, isn't it? But note this. It says of Abel in verse 4, he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn. <laughs> Now, in this day and age, when you and I think of fat, we have a certain image in mind. The Bible doesn't necessarily use terms and names the same as we do in this day and age. Okay? In this day and age, it's an industrial society, electronic society, where a lot of our works, our jobs, are sedentary. We sit all day long. We're not out there working in the fields for eight hours a day or longer, hard work. And in this country, we are very, very blessed to have, to have an abundance of food. Most people, most folks, have more than one day's worth of food in their refrigerators and in their kitchens. Heaven forbid if we shouldn't be able to go down to the 7-Eleven and get extra milk. 
we're very blessed in that regard, much less the Hostess Twinkies and M&Ms and, and bacon cheeseburgers I'm so fond of. Our challenge is to stop by the gym on the way home from the office. In the Bible day and age, the terms fat and thin were different because the struggle was simply to get enough food to eat for that day to be strong enough to come back and work the next day. That was the struggle. And thin meant that a, the person or the animal was underfed and sickly and weak. Fat meant that the person was well-fed and well-nourished and healthy. So the terms have different meanings in the Bible as we read it. So the idea here, when you look at it being a fat portion, is that it was a well-fed, healthy portion, a well-fed and healthy animal that Abel was offering. And it was the firstborn, that is, the best, the first. We see here that Cain was, I mean, Abel was offering his best to God. It doesn't say that they had to give offerings. It doesn't say what the offerings had to be. And yet they knew to do it, both Cain and Abel. Abel offered his best to God. Of Cain, it just says he brought some of the fruits of the soil. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 4, we can read where, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Abel offered his best. If Cain would have offered his best, if he would have done what was right, he would have been accepted as well. Instead, he went off angry. The moral of the story is that we can't offer God anything, just anything. We can't please God our own way. We are to please God his way. Think about it. You have a birthday party, and you go to a birthday party, and you give the birthday person what you want or what they want. Please give me what I want now. Just <laughs> you give them what they want, not what you want. And it's like that with God. We are to give our gifts to God what he wants. And he, what he wants is our best. As Doug put it at the Lord's table, we give our all to God. We give him our best. And that is the moral, that we please God by giving him what he wants, which is our best. Instead, Cain went off angry. He understood God's will. He went away angry. And he went on to do even more wrong and harm his brother in jealousy. In our third and final story, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, if you will. In our third and final story, we see again of another person who understands God's will and he goes off mad. He walks away angry, just as Cain did. And if you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you're in Chronicles, flip back one book to the left. 2 Kings chapter 5, we can read a story of a man named Naaman. And Naaman is a man who's very sick, as we shall see. Let's start off in verse 1. 2 Kings 5, verse 1, we read, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. 
He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. I want to point out here that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, was God's people. And yet God was involved in the lives of the Gentiles. He was involved in the life of this Gentile, Naaman. So God is the God of all mankind and not just the Jews. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, leprosy was a terrible, dreadful disease of the skin. It was fatal, and it was incurable, and it was highly contagious. And in that day and age, when a person or victim had advanced stages of leprosy and it was recognizable, people would go so far as to throw stones at them to keep them at a distance because it was so contagious. So his condition here is very, very severe. Now bands from Aaron had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, that is Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, that is the king of Aram, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And that was a common practice at that time, to send someone with a letter to introduce them. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, what does that mean? Because we don't use talents and shekels like the Bible does. That's about 750 pounds of silver and about 150 pounds of gold. So he's taken a lot of silver and gold with him. He's taken a lot of money, plus 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Remember, leprosy is incurable. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. Now, when I think of a person tearing their robes, I, I think of Hulk Hogan, the pro wrestler, okay? And he's Hulkamania, and he's hulking out. In the Bible day and age, that wasn't hulking out. The king of Israel wasn't hulking out. But rather, it was a sign of, of great distress and mourning, as when you received the word that a loved one had died. It was a, a sign of great anguish. So the king is in great anguish and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back the life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's trying to start a fight. He's trying to start a war. When Elisha, the man of God, and Elisha is the successor to Elijah, who was taken up to heaven in chariots of fire. He is the prophet of Israel heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. He will know that there is someone in Israel that God speaks and works through. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go. Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry, like Cain. He went away angry and said, I thought that he surely would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He was going to give him a show with you know, dry ice if it was available at the time, sparkles and glitter. He didn't even come out to talk to him himself. He sent his messenger. He sent his intern, the second string. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And the two rivers he's referring to are very clear rivers. Because when you think about water, what makes water real nice is the cleaner it is, the better it is. So we value clean water. The Jordan River that he sent into Washington is a very muddy river. How many people look at, at a muddy river and say, wow, I'd really like to go swimming in that? You don't want to go in muddy water. You want to be in clean water. That's not what, Naaman, uh, what Elisha said. Okay, remember this. He still has leprosy. He still has leprosy when he's mad. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, now they're not calling him dad, but that's a term of endearment for someone who's above you. If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? You'd have swam an ocean. You'd have climbed a mountain if he'd have said it. You would have gladly given him all the silver and gold that you brought with you. Isn't that why you brought it with you? This is how much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Does he go off mad again? Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He was made clean, and he was more than made clean. He wasn't the same name and before he got leprosy. His skin was like a young boy's. He was made new. He was made new again, as if he was born again, if you will. We see the moral of this story is that you can't make yourself clean or be renewed your way. To be made new, to be made clean, you have to be made clean God's way. God will make us clean and make us brand new. Now, we see here that you can't reach heaven your way in the Tower of Babel. We see that you can't please God your way in the story of Cain and Abel. And you see here in the story of Naaman the leper that you can't be renewed your way. You can't be made clean your way. But if we're willing to follow God, to follow his way, to let him have his way, we, will be, we are made clean and made new. We please him and we will reach heaven. Now it's easy to say, why is that? Well, because he's God. I want to be a little more specific than that. Turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And our last, next to last verse. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, 18, excuse me, we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. That's God talking. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And if it was a modern day and age, we could say, where is the scientist? Where is the university professor that denies that God exists? Verse 25 says it all. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Man's come up with some great ideas, men and women. Great ideas. Henry Ford invented the automobile. Edison, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Bill Gates invented the internet, and so on and so forth. They all pale in comparison to God's foolishness. To God's foolishness. If it could be right to even say God's foolishness, but we realize this is, a, this is used to, to make a comparison. Our best ideas and most brilliant inventions are way down here compared to God's foolishness. Therefore, we let him have his way, and we don't insist on our ways. We leave them behind. Now, to anyone who's not a Christian, our last scripture this morning is Acts chapter 2. So you turn with me to the left, past Romans to the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 2. Peter here is giving what's called the, the first gospel sermon. And he concludes this sermon in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be sure, assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Be sure. God has made this Jesus, Lord, that is, he is creator, and Christ, that is, he is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the one to take away all our wrongs and all our failures. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What a great question. The most important question we ever ask. Man's way is put your hand on the radio or the TV or the PC screen. Man's way is I was sprinkled as an infant. Man's way is come back in a few months when it's convenient and we'll baptize many folks and be baptized along with them as a sign of your salvation. We can read what God's way is. Peter replied, repent, that is to change your mind, to change your mind, to turn from your ways and to turn to God's ways and be baptized. That's the same word with Naaman, where it says, he went and dipped in the Jordan. It's the same meaning. Be dipped. Be dipped in water. Why? In, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Naaman was made clean and made new on the outside. To anyone who's not a Christian, you can be made new and clean on the inside in the heart where it matters the most. We urge you 
to join us in leaving your ways behind and following God's ways. We urge you to come forward now while we stand and sing, Have Thine Own Way, number 197.